want to invite you, please, to take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. This morning, uh, we have the privilege to continue through uh, our verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts. And uh, this will be the third uh, lesson uh, from Acts chapter 2. I want you just to kind of think back where we've been in the past several weeks. We've uh, seen the ascension of Christ Uh, And now here in Acts 2, uh, we've seen the day of Pentecost, uh, where Lord poured out his Holy Spirit uh, to empower the church there at Jerusalem. Of course, uh, we understand that's uh, the first church that was empowered by the pouring out of the Spirit of God uh, in fulfillment of prophecy. And uh, we have the same privilege today, all of these many hundreds, uh, 2,000 or so years later, Uh, to be people who are indwelt by the Spirit of God so that our church, our assembly, uh, can be empowered to carry out uh, the purposes that we have received of God. Uh, So we saw the Lord use um, this temporary sign gift of tongues uh, to enable Peter to preach to men who spoke different tongues, different languages, uh, who had poured into Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost, Uh, And Peter, of course, has preached repentance uh, and faith in Christ. And uh, we've had the privilege to see here the response of the people uh, to this message. Uh, You'll recall they had asked what should they do in response to Peter's preaching. Uh, There in verse 38, he said unto them, repent, repent, uh, and be baptized. If they would repent of sin, uh, comparing scripture with scripture, we understand they need to place their faith in Christ as well. Uh, they'd be saved, and then they could be baptized. As uh, saved people, they could proceed now with that first act of obedience uh, to which God calls each new believer to be baptized, picturing their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, for salvation and placing them into uh, the membership of the Jerusalem church. So this hasn't changed one bit today. Uh, Tongues have ceased, just exactly as was prophesied, but our call uh, to be baptized as our first act of obedience uh, following salvation uh, has not changed, and the notion that um, baptism uh, both serves as a testimony of salvation but also identifies you with uh, the church uh, and its membership is still very much for today. So, Uh, Come down here to verse 41, Acts 2, verse 41. Uh, We see here, then they that gladly uh, received his word, those who heard uh, with the aid of the Spirit of God, Peter's preaching, they were baptized. So those who repented of sin, placing their faith in Christ, coming to him for salvation, uh, they were baptized. And see the next phrase, please. Those who were saved, Brother Ray, and who were baptized are those who the same day uh, were added unto them. Uh, They were added to the church there at Jerusalem. Their salvation and baptism uh, now associates them with the church membership. And what a joy, uh, what a joy to see here the end of verse 41. On that day, about 3,000 souls uh, were saved and baptized and thereby added to the church at Jerusalem. Uh, If you study... um, Jerusalem in in Bible times there in the first century, uh, you see that there was plenty of water. The various pools of water were available uh, at and near the uh, temple 
uh, plenty of water was available to baptize a large number of people. And what a joy that must have been. What a joy that must have been. I want to ask you, uh, as the members of our church uh, this morning, to pray for salvation decisions uh, and pray that people who are saved would understand and yield to submit themselves for, uh, to the Lord's call uh, to baptism, to be added to the church, to have a church uh, a pastor, fellow believers, and all the things that come along with a church. Would you just begin to pray that regularly, and we'll, we'll just allow God to work uh, as he chooses. Now, uh, in the closing verses of this chapter, uh, we see uh, what the church was doing. So the, these who were added to the Jerusalem church following their salvation and by their baptism, we have the privilege, beginning in verse 42 and down through verse 47, uh, to see the things that characterized, uh, the activities that characterized a biblical church there in the first century. Now, you stop and ask yourself, why is this here? Why are these verses here? Well, it's because uh, in, in many ways, these verses are a template for those things that should characterize a church uh, today in 2021 now. Um, we understand that the world is, is in some ways coming unhinged and people are flying off and to all sorts of things, but uh, those things that the churches are to be focused on, those things that should characterize a church, uh, our activities, uh, our doctrine, and the things that we do according to Bible doctrine haven't changed one bit. Uh, and certainly we're not going to allow uh, the things to which we are called as a church to change uh, as the world uh, seeks more and more change. No, we're going to stick to uh, the stuff. We're going to stick to the scriptures, the word of God. And uh, this morning, this will be helpful to be reminded of those things that we see uh, the first century church committing itself to. I'm going to stop there and pray, and then we'll jump right in. Father, thank you this morning for your words. Lord, thank you for um, the wonderful demonstration of the spirit of God that we've seen already in this chapter. Now, Lord, I thank you for the instruction that we receive as fellow church members this morning from these thy words. I pray, Father, you give us a heart to receive these words, uh, Lord, to be reminded of them and to commit and recommit ourselves to the things that we see here. Lord, as I said this morning, I understand that the world has committed itself to change uh, and not change that brings you honor and glory. But Father, we need to commit and recommit ourselves to steadfastly continuing in the things that uh, you have given churches to be focused on. And so, Lord, I thank you for the privilege to uh, teach and to be uh, reminded this morning of, of these things, uh, these things that uh, should characterize a church in the first century uh, and in the 21st century. Lord, help us now. Father, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read here. Um, I don't normally do this in Sunday school, but I want to read from verse 42 down through uh, verse 47, and then we'll come back and look a little bit more carefully. So we're in Acts 2 uh, at the end, toward the end, uh, beginning in verse 42. This is what those people who uh, were just saved and baptized, placed into the church membership, membership of that local church in Jerusalem, this is what they did. This is what they committed themselves to uh, immediately thereafter. Verse 42 says, they continued, they continued steadfastly uh, in the apostles, what's that next word? Doctrine, doctrine, the teachings uh, of the apostles uh, as were being recorded in scripture uh, and fellowship and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. 
prayers, plural. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs uh, were done by the apostles. And all that believed were, were together and had all things uh, in common. This is not a forced governmental socialistic system. This is a voluntary choice uh, by those church members at that time to hold their belongings together in common uh, and to share with each other as there was need. Of course, this would be a wonderful example of the love to which we are still called as fellow church members. Verse 45, and, uh, in that context, they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men uh, as every man had need. Wonderful demonstration of love. Uh, and they, verse 46, uh, continuing daily with one accord in the temple uh, and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And of course, uh, verse 47, the end of verse 47 there, uh, alludes to, doesn't explicitly say that they were out there practicing the Great Commission, but uh, if they were continuing in all the doctrine that uh, Christ had taught and the apostles uh, taught as well, uh, verse 47 certainly implies that they were in the business of the Great Commission, going and sharing the gospel and calling people uh, into the church to be baptized and, uh, and into the church and to continue in these same things that uh, they had embarked upon as newly saved, newly baptized uh, church members. So uh, the Lord's intention, of course, is that this is an iterative, there we go, process. You get saved, you get baptized, you get busy. Part of that busy is sharing the gospel and uh, new, newly saved people get baptized and they get busy in these same things, which includes uh, sharing the gospel. I don't know about you, but I'm burdened to see, again, I'll say this morning, I'm burdened uh, to see people saved uh, and to see people baptized and to see people come into uh, church membership and to be uh, practicing these uh, biblical things here with us. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind this morning that the Lord is allowing so much trouble in the world today uh, in large part to encourage people to consider spiritual things uh, and to be saved, uh, to be willing to hear from Scripture uh, and to be saved. Well, how will they be saved unless they hear? That's a biblical question, right? Well, they need to hear from us. Uh, people who already possess the truth need to be uh, willing to obey the Lord and to share the truth. And so I just want to uh, continue to share that burden and uh, continue encouraging you to, to do just that, to share that burden uh, and to walk in that burden, that we might see people saved and baptized and continuing in these things with us. Let's go back to the top of verse 42, please, top of the passage. Uh, the Bible says here, observe this, please, they continued. Uh, they began these things and they continued in these things as a church. They didn't, they didn't just in their enthusiasm burst into, onto the scene and, and get busy and then burn out. Uh, uh, their enthusiasm didn't just burn out and then they kind of drifted off as so often is the case when people get saved. No, uh, as a church, as an assembly, they continued as a church in these things that we see here and they did so uh, what's the word that we see here? Uh, the third word in at verse 42, steadfastly. 
Uh, they continued. They started and they did not stop, uh, and they continued steadfastly. Uh, I want to say this, and then I'll define the word a little better. I think they were able to continue, uh, not just begin and then burn out, but they were able to continue uh, because they approached these things, these activities of churches and church members, because they approached them with a zeal, with a steadfastness. Steadfast has the idea of devotion to something or uh, attentiveness to something. It alludes to uh, persevering in something. They pursued these things uh, together in earnest. They uh, persevered. They were constantly diligent in these things. And of course, it's a they thing. It's an assembly thing. It's a church thing. Uh, uh, implied is the truth that they were continuing uh, they were encouraging, there we go, they were encouraging each other. Uh, as they assembled together, they had opportunity to encourage each other to continue. And as they encouraged each other to be steadfast, to have a zeal, to be devoted, uh, to be attentive to these things, to give themselves over, to invest themselves in these things, uh, with a growing dedication and commitment, obviously fueled by their yieldedness uh, to the Spirit of God, uh, they were able to continue. They were yielded, uh, they were together, they encouraged each other uh, to be steadfast, uh, and they were able to continue. Well, praise God, this is, this is God's plan. This is his model uh, that we be assembling together constantly, regularly, uh, for worship, yes, of course, but uh, to fulfill our obligation to encourage each other to steadfastly continue in the plan that God has given for churches, for us to be focused upon these things. Well, understand Christ is at the very foundation. Uh, a church assembly is built up by, uh, on a strong foundation, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and of course, his words uh, and his teachings, uh, which the apostles took and uh, instructed um, as they had received uh, teaching from him. So uh, it's not surprising here that uh, we would see the next thing on the list. Well, the first thing, really, they continued steadfastly. Okay, in what? What is the list of things that they continued steadfastly in? The first thing uh, that we see here, and not surprisingly, uh, is the apostles' doctrine, the inspired teaching of the, the apostles uh, as uh, was being recorded uh, in Scripture. Uh, this, uh, of course... Uh, at this early stage uh, of the church, there, there would not have been uh, New Testament scriptures uh, inscripturated just yet. That was uh, still in process, uh, still very much in process, uh, but they had the privilege of, of having some uh, who had been instructed by the Lord uh, with them, uh, including Peter, uh, including Peter. So as Peter taught what he had received, uh, they received uh, his teaching, uh, and they, they continued in that teaching, the, 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 the doctrine that they had received from Christ. Of course, they had the Old Testament uh, inscripturated already. They had the, the words that Christ had taught the apostles and the teaching uh, of the apostles, the doctrine that was based on the very words uh, of Christ. And of course, 
you understand this morning that is the desperate need of, of the world uh, and of churches alike. We need biblical teaching uh, and preaching. We need to bear in mind and, and, and teach others that uh, the words of God are the medicine that the world needs. And of course, it's the medicine that, that so many churches need today, the truth, uh, the power of God's truth uh, as recorded in his words. Uh, we can we can live according to his words as we yield to the Spirit of God. The same Spirit uh, who inspired the, the writing down of those words is the one who gives us uh, understanding uh, and conviction uh, and the ability, uh, the ability to uh, take up and to continue uh, in the words of God. Now, I want to remind us this morning of a very important truth here. We need to be reminded that uh, this is a church, a church assembly that we're looking at here. It's not just freelance believers kind of out there doing their own thing, starting ministries and doing things that churches are supposed to be doing. No, this is a, this is a local church that we're studying here, the church at Jerusalem. Uh, God is giving us uh, this as a model for uh, our church assembly at Trumbull. Uh, this is very much uh, the business of local churches. Uh, the local church at Jerusalem was in the business of teaching and preaching the words of God. And uh, it is our church and churches like us who are called to the same business. Uh, be reminded and just write down this reference, please. First Timothy 3, in 1 Timothy 3, uh, beginning in verse 14, Paul wrote to Timothy, These things write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee uh, shortly. But if I tarry long that thou may knowest how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church, the ecclesia, the assembly of the living God. And then he calls the local church assembly this, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, uh, those are architectural terms, uh, pillar and ground, source of strength uh, for the church. Uh, the church is to be in the business of teaching and preaching uh, the Apostles' Doctrine, uh, the, the words of God, uh, it is a responsibility that is uniquely given to churches. There is no other institution that has been called uh, or commissioned by the Lord to preach and teach the word of God. We see all sorts of ministries, parachurch ministries, uh, televangelists and so forth who are not connected to a church uh, taking up this duty, this responsibility. Well, that's just unbiblical. Uh, they are not called to that. It is churches who have this responsibility. And I think so much of the false doctrine and trouble that we get into is when uh, people uh, uh, constitute and, and, and run ministries outside of God's plan, uh, they do not have the blessing of God in that. And uh, as such, I believe the Lord will at times allow them to get into faulty understandings and to teach faulty understandings uh, because they are not following the Lord's plan. He's not blessing them uh, and their efforts. So the church is uniquely commissioned to be the uh, teacher of God's words. Uh, it is the pillar and ground of the truth. Uh, it is the one that is called to establish uh, teaching and, and preaching ministries. And it is the thing, the institution, that is strengthened by the preaching and teaching of God's words. There is no other institution that is called to this 
uh, purpose. What about Bible colleges, Pastor? Well, uh, a biblical Bible college, would uh, one that would be as biblical as possible, would be a ministry uh, of a local church. And, and if it is, uh, it as a ministry of a local church very much has authority from the Lord uh, to teach and preach God's words. Uh, I would say this, um, if a church is teaching and preaching um, effectively, uh, that should minimize the need for folks to go off to a Bible college. Uh, of course, there can be value, and there, there can be value in taking a season to uh, have a more um, structured uh, uh, teaching in and perhaps review of the words of God. But uh, I would say this, uh, churches, churches are called to be the teachers. Uh, and if we are doing this well, uh, as you continue in attending, uh, you're getting a Bible college instruction. You're, you're getting that. I understand I, I, I offer that thought as someone who is currently teaching in a Bible college, uh, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Churches are called to this business and no one else is. Um, note again, before we continue on, that doctrine is mentioned first. Uh, it is, it is um, the basis uh, Christ being the foundation, but his words and the doctrine that we distill from his words become the foundation for everything else that we see here in the list. So they continued steadfastly uh, in doctrine. They continued to teach it and to learn it and to practice it. Uh, not just hearers, but doers of the word. Well, part of doing the apostles' doctrine uh, we see here is fellowship. They were fellowshipping together. So look again at verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine uh, and secondly in fellowshipping. In, in fellowshipping. I think it was back in uh, uh, two years ago this month we looked at this word in, in some detail uh, in both a men's and ladies' prayer breakfast. I want to revisit uh, some of those thoughts, review some of those thoughts, perhaps add some ideas uh, here this morning. But I, wanna, I want us to just take uh, several minutes and consider carefully uh, this word fellowship. Uh, to fellowship together uh, means what? Well, uh, what exactly does the word mean? The word underlying fellowship literally has the idea of joining together uh, and partnering with others uh, especially for some beneficial purpose. It, it had, Brother Ray, check that camera, please, because I know it got jarred. Thank you, sir. Uh, it has the literal idea of, of coming together, but not just coming together for any old purpose, uh, for a beneficial purpose. Permit me to say this, for, for God's purposes. Uh, we see that in Scripture, uh, the idea of coming together for a beneficial purpose uh, is applied to a number of areas, um, including uh, serving one another, uh, partnering to serve others, and coming together and partnering to reach others uh, with the gospel, to carry out the Great Commission. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4.9 illustrates the idea of fellowshipping uh, for the purpose of a mutual benefit, serving one another. I'll just read the verses. You can, you can just listen. Ecclesiastes 4, beginning in verse 9, says this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For what if they fall? The one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. 
Here, here we find a practical benefit of maintaining close daily fellowship uh, with other believers. We can be there to help each other up uh, when we fall. Uh, I think a spiritual lapse is, is what's probably implied here. Uh, someone begins to drift away from church or from a, a close walk with the Lord. Well, if you're in close fellowship with uh, someone else in the church, uh, they'll likely be aware of that, and they'll accordingly be in a position to offer a hand up to encourage you back to uh, where you should be. So um, this, is, this is the idea. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, turn there if you would. 2 Corinthians 8, uh, beginning in verse 1, illustrates the idea of fellowship uh, as in the context of joining together uh, for the purpose of serving others. So kind of a second application uh, or context biblically where we see the word uh, being used. Here, uh, Paul writes that the Macedonian churches had asked him uh, to take their financial gift to Jerusalem. And Paul referred to their desire to partner with him to deliver the gift as, quote, fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Uh, so again, the idea here is fellowship uh, referring to the idea of coming together for this beneficial purpose uh, of serving others. I'm going to read uh, 2 Corinthians 8, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says here, Moreover, brethren, uh, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift, hear the next phrase, please, and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And so again, uh, this idea that uh, Paul desired to partner with them to deliver this gift uh, to the church at Jerusalem, which was undergoing uh, persecution and all the practical trials, including financial trials that went along uh, with that persecution. And so uh, we see here, number one, uh, fellowship is used biblically in the context of uh, serving one another within a church. Uh, fellowship can also be used in the context of coming together, partnering for the purpose of serving others. Uh, perhaps in another church would be one uh, biblical application of that idea. Uh, and then lastly, we, we have this idea of fellowship uh, being used biblically in the context or in the application of coming together uh, for the purpose of reaching others with the gospel. Uh, in Galatians, for example, chapter 2 and verse, verse 9, Galatians 2, 9, Paul explains uh, how he came into uh, a, a supportive fellowshipping partnership with James, uh, Cephas, who is Peter, uh, and John. There's the sort of the inner circle of Christ, right? Uh, they, they, they formed this, uh, well, Christ formed this uh, fellowship with these men uh, for a purpose, the purpose being sharing the gospel. Uh, here, uh, this verse, Galatians 2 and verse 9, when 
Uh, and when James, Cephas, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, received the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of, uh, and here's the word, fellowship. Fellowship that, or so that, we should go unto the heathen, uh, and they unto the circumcision. Why would they go unto uh, both unsaved Gentiles and unsaved Jews, the heathen and the circumcision? What would be the purpose that he's alluding to? Well, it's, of course, to go and share the gospel with them so that they could be saved. So uh, Paul used the word fellowship. Uh, they, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. That or so that uh, we could go to the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So biblically, we see the word fellowship being used specifically uh, for that reason. Now, uh, you understand that in, recently we, we've curtailed our uh, outreach, both door-to-door -door and street outreach um, for uh, safety reasons. I, I've been burdened about that recently. I'm anxious to get back out there. Uh, would you pray with me about that? Can we do that safely? I believe uh, particularly if we focus on street outreach, perhaps we can uh, do that with uh, reasonable wisdom and, and safety. Um, pray about that, please. I, I'm burdened uh, to get back out there and to uh, share the gospel as a church. Uh, certainly, we're, we're not being obedient to the Lord if we allow our outreach efforts to uh, lapse for, for too long. I understand you, I've called you as individual members uh, to be always looking for opportunities to share the gospel and to do that, and I've encouraged you to be creative in how you do that. We have lots of ways uh, to continue doing that, but I also understand that uh, there ought to be some uh, corporate outreach as well, and so uh, I'm praying about uh, how we may be able to do some of that again uh, wisely uh, and safely. Um, let's, um, let's move on here. Uh, let's move on. Number uh, three, I guess I haven't been giving you numbers, but uh, continue on here. Uh, we see here in verse 42, as a church, they continued steadfastly also uh, in observing the Lord's Supper. Uh, in observing the Lord's Supper. Uh, I believe this, this phrase here, breaking of bread, alludes to the Lord's Supper. I know some have um, argued that that probably just uh, refers to fellowshipping together and enjoying uh, a meal. Uh, it does follow the word fellowship, and so some have understood it that way. Uh, but I think it's far more likely that uh, given that the context here is a local church, and the activities of the local church, uh, the phrase breaking of bread, far more likely, again, given the context, if we allow the context to inform our understanding, uh, and you know, prayerfully, uh, does the Holy Spirit give us peace about this? I believe the Spirit does give me peace about understanding breaking of bread uh, as a reference to uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, the communion uh, service, if you will. Um, Turn over to Matthew chapter 26. Uh, Matthew chapter 26 uh, is the passage in Matthew uh, where the Lord practiced the supper for the first time, instituted uh, this uh, practice within the assembly uh, that he had formed. Um, I, I have no issue whatsoever with the idea that uh, Christ formed the first church before Pentecost. Uh, he was their pastor. He had uh, a, a visible, called-out assembly of believers. 
they were baptized. Uh, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was sent in fulfillment of, of all the prophecy uh, and empowered that assembly for God's purposes. Uh, certainly, the church had baptism before Pentecost. It had the Lord's Supper. Um, these two institutions to which the Lord has called uh, churches. Matthew 26, beginning in, in verse 26, says this, As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. They took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, uh, He gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, all of you, drink ye all of it. Uh, for, verse 28, this is my blood of the New Testament, praise God, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So praise God. Uh, a wonderful picture uh, of the blood that Christ would. Uh, at that point, was still future, was about to happen, but uh, now we look back uh, to this being uh, something past. The cross is, is in our past, and, and praise God for that. Uh, praise God for that. The Lord fulfilled his, uh, his ultimate purpose for, uh, for coming. Now, uh, you will recall that when we observe the Lord's Supper in our church, we typically, almost always, read from the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, turn there if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll pick it up in verse 23. But uh, you remember in that, pat well, in that book, Paul was dealing with spiritual problems in the church at Corinth. And one of the problems was around how they were practicing the observance or commemoration of the Lord's Supper. And so he um, taught them um, various principles related uh, to that. And uh, I won't pick it up here in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. He says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that Lord Jesus, same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, uh, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. We understand that uh, whether it was the juice or the bread, these were pictures of his body and blood. Uh, we do not hold to the doctrine of transubstantiation, which teaches that they literally became the body and blood of Christ. Uh, drinking of blood is specifically prohibited by Scripture. Uh, and so it seems to me that it ought to be obvious that they did not become, these emblems did not become the literal body and blood of Christ but rather they are pictures designed to aid uh, us visually in our understanding. Uh, they're visual aids designed to teach and to aid um, our commemoration or remembrance of what the Lord has done for us. Uh, verse 25 there in 1 Corinthians 11 says, After the same manner also he took the cup when he supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And so let's be reminded again this morning that we uh, observe the Lord's Supper because the Lord has commanded us to do that uh, for the purpose of remembering what he has done for us. Uh, that's the first part of the purpose. It's a commemoration or celebration of the cross, his a body being broken and his blood being shed to cover our sins. It is a remembrance and a very visual remembrance um, uh, of what he has done. Uh, it's, it's, it's really very interesting to me. It's visual. You see the emblems. 
uh, as you partake of them, you, you taste them. It's a very sensory thing. Uh, it involves seeing and tasting and, and remembering. It's, uh, this is the Lord's um, genius uh, in um, formulating uh, a very, um, a very uh, powerful, very powerful commemoration uh, of the cross. So it's a remembrance first, uh, a celebration, a remembrance, but it's, it looks back to the cross. And as you know, we, we so often take care to teach that uh, it also has the purpose of causing us to look not just back to the cross, but forward uh, to his return. Uh, there in 1 Corinthians 11, the, the passage continues, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death, that's the first part, uh, and then the second part, till he come, till he come. Well, that's the part that looks forward to his return. So the supper is very much a celebration of what the Lord has accomplished at the cross, and it's very much a reminder of the fact that he will return. It could be today. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I uh, appreciate one of our men prayed in our morning uh, prayer call uh, for the Lord to return quickly. Well, praise God, that's the heart that we should have. Uh, we should have a heart that the Lord return quickly. Uh, praise God for that. It ought to, that truth that he could return today ought to inform uh, how we live today. How do we want to be found at the rapture? Do we want to be found living in sin? Do we want to be found living in obedience to the Lord? Uh, I would choose the latter and trust you would too. Uh, Lord, help us to be yielded to you and strengthened by you to be found living uh, in obedience to your words. I want to remind us, and um, we'll close. Uh, we'll close here this morning. Uh, that there is a warning. Paul taught a warning um, in that First Corinthians eleven passage as well. And if you're there, um, go there. If you're not there, please. First um, Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. Here, here's a warning. Let a man examine himself. So I always encourage people to uh, examine themselves, examine their hearts as they come uh, to the the table, if you will. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, uh, and many sleep. Uh, many sleep. And of course, biblically, that word sleep, in, and in this context, clearly refers to death. Uh, not sleeping, literally, but it's, it's figuring or picturing uh, death. So this is a very important warning. Uh, Paul warned in very explicit terms that when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we need to make sure that we are coming in a manner that uh, suggests or indicates that we are biblically qualified uh, to participate. Well, what's that mean? I, let's just quickly review some of those ideas, biblical ideas. Uh, number one, you have to be a saved, baptized church member. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus um, I'll get it out here in a second, uh, he practiced it first and taught it first. The Lord's Supper uh, was a group of saved people who constituted that first assembly. 
and so we understand this is for saved people uh, who are members of the assembly. When Paul wrote this warning, he wrote it to a church, <laughs> the church at Corinth, the assembly, the local church uh, at Corinth, saved people who had been baptized into the membership of that assembly. Uh, and so uh, we need to understand, comparing scripture with scripture, that in order to be uh, qualified, in order that the warning not uh, apply to you, you would need to be a saved, baptized uh, church member. Uh, we also understand, we don't have time to look at all of this this morning, but that in context, in the uh, earlier context of this passage, Paul was dealing with relationship problems in the church and uh, urging the church to uh, take care to deal with uh, interpersonal problems, uh, individuals dealing with problems they had with other individuals uh, before they came to the table so that they could come uh, in uh, unity. This is a, uh, I believe the Lord intends one of the purposes for the Lord's Supper is to uh, maintain a unity, to encourage a unity within the church. It's for the church, uh, and it's for those who are reconciled to one another as best they can be this side of heaven. Uh, and so in the broader context of the passage, which I, I, I apologize, we have not looked at that, but you remember that, and, and you can go and read above here uh, to see that for yourself. Uh, coming um, in a qualified manner also requires examining our relationships with one another and taking care to uh, address any problems uh, before we come. Uh, those who have been disciplined out of church membership, always a tragedy, uh, would not be allowed to participate either because they're not church members, you understand that. And so it's important that we understand these um, qualifications because uh, Paul teaches from the Lord very serious uh, consequences uh, for not coming uh, in a qualified manner. I think sometimes people um, skip the Lord's Supper because they're concerned uh, am, I, am I going to be participating unworthily? That's the wrong heart. Uh, that's a wrong heart. We're called to maintain the Lord's Supper and to uh, utilize it as an opportunity to examine ourselves. Pray, Lord, help me. Ex help me to examine my own heart, my relationships, my relationship with you and my relationships uh, with fellow church members. And Lord, if there's a problem in any of those areas, uh, give me grace, help, give me wisdom, uh, to deal with those things so that I can participate as you have commanded. We'll pick it up there, Lord willing, next Sunday morning. We'll stop there and pray. Father, thank you, Lord, this morning for your words. Thank you for your instruction. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we have a completed canon of Scripture and we have the, the privilege to compare uh, Scripture with Scripture and to uh, view uh, these practices of the local church through the lens of, of, of all of the New Testament. And Lord, I, th I just thank you again that um, we have the privilege to be encouraged by your words. I, I pray, Father, that you would help us to continue steadfastly uh, in doctrine from you, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Lord, give us, give us a heart for these things. Help us to encourage one another in these things. Lord, I know you encourage us uh, uh, by and through 
the Spirit of God. And I thank you for that. I pray when we're convicted regarding these things that uh, we not reject the conviction, but that we would simply yield. And Lord, where we've um, failed, where we've um, not continued steadfastly, I pray that we, we deal with that, recognize that as sin, that we would confess it and ask you for strength to put off the disobedience and to take up a, a Christ-honoring obedience in each of these areas. Lord, I pray that you will work in our 11 o'clock hour this morning and that uh, you would be honored and glorified throughout the day here. Father, I thank you this morning for our church. I thank you for Long Hill Baptist Church. I thank you for uh, those who established, who planted this church and uh, who fought so hard to grow it over the, the decades. And Lord, for people who have remained faithful uh, to you and to their church uh, in this day. Lord, thank you so very much. I'm grateful. Lord, I love you this morning. I thank you and pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen.